What up, son? It's the tale of the tapes. The fuck life. Saying. Tale of the Tapes, Season 2, Episode 11. Today we have Tupac and AG. For those of you who don't know, that's AG of the group Showbiz and AG, and they were down with Big L and Fat Joe and all them and the DITC crew, Lord, Lord Finesse, everybody else. Um, and I told you last week going into this, most people who know me know this very well about me, but for those of you who don't, Tupac is one of my favorite people ever, period. So I'm definitely personally super hyped for this one. It's probably going to be a long one, just a warning, but we got a lot of awesome and interesting things today. So let's start off with Tupac, who had his debut solo album in 1991. Born Lesane Parish Crooks, June 16th, 1971 in New York City, New York, United States. And died September 13, 1996 in Las Vegas, Nevada, United States. Other names, Machiavelli and MC New York. Years active, 1987 to 1996. And the genres are listed as hip-hop, political hip-hop, and West Coast hip-hop. So obviously, rest in peace to Tupac, man. One of my favorites of all time. Rapper or no rapper, just one of my favorite people ever. Um, but that's not what this episode is about. But I do... I do like to let people know before I get into anybody where I personally stand with them because obviously everybody has opinions and I have opinions and your opinions could differ from mine and that's fine. But I do like to point out that a lot of times I really like somebody and they might not do well or I really don't like somebody and they do well or, you know, maybe I like somebody and they do well and I'm excited or whatever the case may be. But I do like to point out where I stand with people before I really get into them. So... Tupac, one of my all-time favorites for sure. A little bit of a background on Tupac. Tupac Amaru Shakur, born Lesane Parish Crooks, better known by his stage name Tupac, and by his alias Machiavelli, was an American rapper, songwriter, and actor. He is considered by many to be one of the most influential rappers of all time. Much of Shakur's work has been noted for addressing contemporary social issues that plagued inner cities, and he is considered a symbol of resistance and activism against inequality. Shakur was born in Manhattan, a borough of New York City, but relocated to the San Francisco Bay Area in 1988. He moved to Los Angeles in 1993 to further pursue his music career. By the time he released his debut album, Tupacalypse Now, in 1991, he had become a central figure in West Coast hip-hop, introducing social issues in the genre at a time when gangster rap was dominant in the mainstream. Shakur achieved further critical and commercial success with his follow-up album, Strictly For My Niggas, in 1993 and Me Against the World in 1995. Shakur became heavily involved in the growing East Coast-West Coast hip-hop rivalry between 1995 and 1996. His double-disc album, All Eyes on Me, in 1996 became certified diamond by the RIAA. On September 7, 1996, Shakur was shot four times by an unknown assailant in a drive-by shooting in Las Vegas. He died six days later, and the gunman was never captured. Five more albums have been released since his death, all of which have been certified platinum in the United States. Shakur is one of the best-selling music artists of all time, having sold over 75 million records worldwide. In 2002, he was inducted into the Hip Hop Hall of Fame. 
In 2017, he was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in his first year of eligibility. Rolling Stone named Shakur in its list of the 100 greatest artists of all time. So obviously a massive amount there for Pac, and to be quite honest, as I'm sure most of you know, but there was obviously a hell of a lot more that wasn't covered there. So that really tells you a lot about the man's impact, obviously, and what he was able to do and accomplish. And, you know, like I said with Faramont's last week, like we're not going to get too, too overboard. I will, I will definitely put in the more important things. I mean, there's a lot of important things about Tupac that aren't in there, but, you know, we, we can only cover so much at one time and we're not going to drag an episode out to be two or three hours on this guy's life. I urge anybody that is either interested in Tupac or doesn't know too much about Tupac to check into him and, and find out more about him if that interests you. But here, that's what we're going to cover. And then we'll get into what I wrote down about Tupac when I was listening to him. Tupac is generally considered one of the best rappers ever, but in what way? Lyrically, although well above average, he was certainly not the best ever. But we all know there is more to being the best at anything than just one aspect. While Pac didn't have very many amazing punchlines, he didn't have many weak ones either, and he was great at using different rhyme schemes and patterns. Where he really shined lyrically, though, was with meaningful messages. Some of the points he was making alone were astonishing whether they rhymed or not. The fact that they so effortlessly did was just a pretty bow on top of an already beautifully wrapped package. In just five short years, Pac managed to record ten albums, including four double discs. Of the 10 albums, three were good, five were great, and two were classics. Those numbers are absolutely mind-blowing. Possibly even more amazing was out of the 198 songs he released in just a five-year span, 48 of them were great, with only two of them being weak and another 47 being good. I don't think anyone needs me to talk about the impact Tupac had not only on the hip-hop community, but the world as a whole. From the messages in his songs, to riots against him, to shooting cops, being shot, going to jail, controversy with death row, to his involvement in civil rights movements and his career as an actor, Tupac was known worldwide regardless of the music you listen to. He also had visible influences on a long list of artists that include LL Cool J, The DOC, Shaq, Master P, J Forms, Willie D, MC Shan, Public Enemy, Naughty by Nature, MC Hammer, Ice-T, Vanilla Ice, Ski-Lo, E-40, Mr. Cheeks, Eminem, Crazy Bone, Lazy Bone, Busy Bone, Flesh and Bone, Spice One, Nas, Buckshot, 8-Ball and MJG, Prodigy, Dice Raw, Sticky Fingers, Sunny Caesar, Mac Dre, Fat Joe, Scarface, Be Real, Jay-Z, and believe it or not, many others. If Tupac had anything close to a chink in the armor anywhere, it would be in the originality category. He always stayed true to himself and who he wanted to be, but aside from a few songs, he didn't have a very unique rap style or song choice for the most part. His voice and delivery were one thing that certainly stood out about Tupac, and his image was relatively unique at times when he wanted to be. So... Don't get me wrong about what I'm saying. Tupac definitely had some original songs and stuff like Brenda Had a Baby and things like that. But what I'm talking about is compared to the overall body of work, they were few and far between. In general, for the most part, in a lot of his songs, it was either kind of, you know, your typical West Coast hip hop sound 
maybe rapping about like girls or something political or deep. And I'm not knocking any of that. I'm just trying to, you know, make a point and stand out that his originality was not that of somebody like an ODB or an MF Doom who we covered and things like that, where he really was this super original, unique character. In his own right, he was, but not to an extreme. So, getting into the math of what I just read to you. Lyrics, he gets a six and a half. Albums, he gets a 5.71 with two classics. Songs, he gets a plus 2.4, which is pretty damn crazy. Um, it's very rare that anyone gets, I shouldn't say it's very rare because it certainly happens, but it's definitely not the norm when anyone gets plus or minus a whole decimal place there. Not only does Tupac do that, but he gets plus two decimal places and then some. So Tupac just quite frankly had a lot of really great songs, whether it came down to popularity or content and things like that or maybe what the song was about and stuff like that the man had a lot of great songs and that's a tremendous score right there that that gives him a boost right there in a category where most people are either losing or gaining like point ones and point twos impact he gets a nine and a half this obviously goes without saying i mean you can say whatever you want about tupac you can say that he you know he was more popular because he was killed young or whatever the case is you may be right, you may be wrong. I'm not even really here to speculate that. All I'm here to do is post the facts. And the facts are that Tupac, obviously, is a worldwide known figure. You could have never, ever listened to a single hip-hop song in your entire life. And I highly doubt there are that many people in the world who have never at least heard the name Tupac Shakur. Now, I know there are other people in history with the name Tupac Shakur. That's obviously not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the rapper. Whether you know him as an actor, you know him you know, for being involved with civil rights or the Black Panthers, which his mother and his aunt. And, I mean, it, it just goes so deep. Like I said, I urge you to look into Tupac if you really don't know about him or you have any interest in him at all. Um, it, you know, it's almost like the man was born to do something and he was almost put in a position that he... I don't want to say he didn't have a choice because he wasn't forced. He, he, you know, he chose to fill the shoes, but, you know, he, he played the role that he was given and he obviously did a tremendous job at not only getting people to know his name, but I mean, look at the fucking list of people that have either taken lines from him or sampled him or, you know, whatever the case may be. But I mean, not only is that list insanely long. But I didn't read you all the names on that list. And there are a lot of really big, big names on that list. I mean, some of our, probably our top guys here are on that list. So obviously he gets a major score in that department in more ways than one. And a little side note, fun fact here. That list of names influenced there by Tupac is the first time that we've heard my name mentioned in this study. And if you knew me growing up, you'd understand how fitting that is with Tupac having been one of my favorite people ever. So to have my name first be brought up in this study as having been influenced by Tupac or one of the people that Tupac influenced is obviously an honor to me, to say the least. So, you know, Impact 9.5 is just an obvious one for Tupac. And then Originality, he gets a 6.5, which is, you know, he's definitely above average in that category. I mean, Tupac had certain things about him that was certainly super super original but when you got a guy that does this well overall six and a half is not that great of a score and those are the things that at the end of the day are going to separate the top couple of people 
where you're going to have these people that are getting these great scores, but there was this one category where they just didn't do that great, and that allowed so-and-so to go ahead of them. Because, you know, a lot of these guys, I'm, I'm sure, are going to, it's going to get to a point where there's some guys up here that are getting really, really high scores in certain categories, and something's going to have to separate them. And, you know, things like that could be the difference. So he gets a six and a half there, still a good score, but, you know, not, not a nine and a half like impact or anything like that. So now, just again, a quick reminder. I know that we had a scenario like this recently, but I just want to go over it again. In this particular scenario, you're still dividing by five because the classics are just bonus points. So you're going to add together the six and a half for lyrics, the 5.71 for the albums, the 2.4 for the songs, the nine and a half for the impact, the six and a half for the originality, and then two more points for the classic album. And then you're going to divide by five. And that gives you a final score of 6.52. Which leaves him in drum roll, please. Tie for seventh place of 153 artists done so far. So, obviously, a hell of a finish for Tupac there. Major shout out to Tupac for sure. Um, and as much as it pains me a little bit to utter these words, we're only a third of the way through so far, and Tupac is seated at number seven, which is great. But while things are subject to change, I don't see Tupac probably finishing inside the top ten when this is all said and done. So while he may very well be one of my favorite human beings of all time, he doesn't appear to be the greatest rapper of all time, unfortunately. So not trying to downplay anything. Tremendous finish by Tupac. Hell of a job, that I mean, in just a couple of short years, this guy was killed when he was 25. Uh, 10 albums, two double discs, you know, stuff like that. Just the things that this guy did were absolutely phenomenal. So I don't want to downplay that at all. I just, you know, me personally, I, I want Pac in my top three or my top five. Um, I'm careful with my words. I, I don't know if I would use best, but personal favorite, for sure, Pac's in my, in my top three or five. So, um... You know, pains me a little bit to see it, but still a hell of a finish by Tupac. And that does mean that we get another song breakdown today. So, with that being said, let's go to Pac's list and let's hit random. And this is Tupac. I wonder if Heaven Got a Ghetto. I assume most people probably know this song. But uh, let's let it rock and see what Pac has to say and we'll score it. Okay, so let's pause right there. Now, nothing really too crazy from Tupac here. He says, I was raised a little young nigga doing bad shit, talk much shit because I never had shit. So you're going to see a recurring theme, at least right here in the beginning for a little bit, where Tupac does this thing where he's kind of repeating like the same last word or some of the same words and just changing maybe the word before it or something like that. So, you know, you have bad shit and had shit. 
Then I can remember being whooped in class, and if I didn't pass, mama whooped my ass. So whooped in class, whooped my ass, same thing. He just changes the last word. The words before it are the same. But then he goes into, was it my fault? Papa didn't plan it out, broke out, and left me to be the man of the house. Now, while that's not an amazing line, and I'm not going to raise the song score because of that line, it is one of those things where it just it just invokes a reaction. You know what I mean? It's just... You know, whether you let out a sigh or kind of a head shake or whatever the case is. I mean, if you're really listening to the song and you give a fuck about what the artist is saying, that's obviously one of those lines that you hear that causes some sort of reaction. Um, But other than that, I mean, most of these rhymes are just, you know, mostly one rhyme per bar. You know, two or three rhymes maybe in the two bars. uh, Mostly one syllable on most of these. They may sound like more than one syllable, but it's usually just a couple of the same words repeated with a different word either in the beginning or at the end, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that, but there's nothing technically too amazing here, but he does go into a a pretty deep line there, and then he says, I couldn't take it, had to make a profit, found a block, got a Glock, and I clock grips. Now, that's kind of one of those things where he doesn't really technically have a different rhyme scheme there because you have profit which is two syllables, and then clock grips, which is what he uses later on to rhyme with profit, and then in between it's block and glock, which really don't differ from prof and clock. So that's the reason why I'm not giving credit for a different rhyme scheme here, because it's still the same thing. He just only rhymed one syllable of the same rhyme scheme. It's not really a different rhyme scheme, so I just wanted to point that out. So uh, nothing... Too crazy right here in the first half of this verse. Nothing really to change the score of this song so far. So let's see how he finishes this first verse off. Making Z's was my mission. Moving up for this shit to get my mama out the kitchen. And why must I sock a fella? Just to live large like Rockefeller. First you didn't give a fuck, but you're learning now. If you don't respect the town, then we'll burn you down. So then he goes on to say, making G's was my mission. Moving enough of this shit to get my mama out the kitchen. Again, that one's two syllables instead of one, but again, a relatively simplistic line, but still saying things that have some sort of meaning here, you know, and, uh, you know, maybe, maybe is nothing, again, too crazy to raise the song score, but Tupac catches your ear and gets your attention with some lines that, you know, at least draw you to say damn or think something in your head or, you know, sigh or shake your head or something. And then he goes on to say, why must I sock a fella? Just to live large like Rockefeller. Now there's a couple of things with this line. It's a little simplistic in the in this the sense that you probably really wouldn't use the term Sockefeller. It's probably not really the way that you would normally speak. So what you can tell happened is that he wanted to rhyme something with Rockefeller and Sockefeller rhymes and it makes sense. So if it makes sense, then by all means say it. But it is a little bit of a simplistic way out in a certain sense right there. But it's also complicated because of the number of syllables on the rhyme and also because of obviously the wordplay. Rockefeller really doesn't have anything to do with rocking or people or anything like that. But he kind of takes the same wording and makes it mean something totally different. So... There's a little bit of give and take with that line right there. Probably a little bit more good than bad, um, which is kind of the recurring theme so far here in the first verse. I still don't think that the song score here is raised or anything like that, but certainly more good than bad from Tupac here. Then he says, 
First, you don't give a fuck, but you're learning now. If you don't respect the town, then we'll burn you down. Now, obviously, I'm sure most people know what what Tupac is either referring to or why he's saying this. You have to understand that, and, and Tupac spoke about this many times, about how he's a reporter, so to speak, where he's seeing what he's seeing, and he's writing about it and, and reporting it on a song, on a microphone or whatever. So you're talking about a guy that was born in the 70s, raised in the 80s, a, a, a young adult in the in the 90s and stuff like that, you know, late teens, stuff like that. A lot of riots going on, a lot of things, be, you know, the LA riots, places being burnt down, the Rodney King thing. There was obviously a lot of stuff going on while this dude is growing into a man and things like that. And you hear it in his music. Um, whether it comes out the right way or not, it's obviously coming from a frustrated place. And you don't have to agree with Tupac's stance or what he's saying, but he's speaking on what he's seeing and what's going down. So let's see how he finishes the verse off. Okay, so then he, obviously, he, what we were just talking about, like I just said, talking about riots and all that type, the LA riots, all that stuff, he says, God damn, it's a motherfucking riot, black people on a rage, police, so don't try it. Again, relatively simplistic, nothing too crazy there, two syllables, but nothing too nuts. If you're not from the town, then don't pass through because some OG fools might blast you. Again, relatively simplistic. Two syllables on the rhyme. Two rhymes on the two bars. Nothing too crazy. Just he just going on really about the same point. He's talking about all the violence that he's seeing. All the riots that are going on. I wouldn't recommend you walking through here if you ain't from here. Yada yada things like that. So again, kind of reporting what he sees. It ain't right, but it's long overdue. We can't have peace till the niggas get a peace too. This is a dope line because he's going back now to what he just said. Okay, so he talked about, you didn't give a fuck, but you're learning now. We're going to burn it down. It's a motherfucking riot. Police don't try it. If you ain't here from here, don't pass through. Some OG fools might blast you. Yada, yada, all this shit. Right now, I just spoke about how he's rapping about what he's seeing. He's reporting. Now he goes on to say, it ain't right, but it's long overdue. And that's, that's again, when I wrote down what I wrote down about Tupac, that's one of those lines where we haven't even gotten into the rhyme yet and what comes next. But this bar standing alone, it ain't right, but it's long overdue. That's one of those powerful bars that Tupac had right there. That's one of those things where, you know what, bro? I know it's not right. I have a conscience. I know it ain't right. But fuck it. It's long overdue and we're doing what we're doing. Then he goes on to say that they can't have peace unless they get peace too, but he uses peace obviously in two separate ways. So originally he says we can't have peace, talking about, you know, a truce type of thing, saying until we get a peace too, but then he's saying peace as in a piece of the pie. So he's basically just saying it ain't right, but it's long overdue, and it's going to stay this way. Until we get what's owed to us or what we're, you know, what we feel that we deserve. 
Then he goes on to say, I want G, so you label me a criminal, and if I die, I wonder if heaven got a ghetto. Which, criminal and ghetto is really a stretch for a rhyme there. I'm, I'm not really going to take credit off for anything there, but it's definitely a stretch for a rhyme. Tupac was a, a pretty artistic dude, and while he did have some faults lyrically, he didn't seem like the type of dude that was incapable of finding a rhyme. So... More times than not, I'm sure when Tupac does things like this, they're more so done by design or done on purpose. And also, there were a couple of borderline things that probably could have also raised the score in that first verse. So, we'll let those even each other out. I thought, for the most part, that was a pretty even verse from Pac there. I definitely think more good than bad. I still don't think that the song score is raised just yet, but let's let the end of the hook rock and we'll get into the second verse and see where that takes us. I wonder if heaven got a ghetto. I wonder if heaven got a ghetto. You're on earth. Tell me what's a black life worth. A bottle of juice is no excuse. The truth hurts. And even when you take the shit, move counties, get a lawyer, you can shake the shit. Ask Rodney, Latasha, and many more. It's been going on for years, there's plenty more. When they ask me, when will the violence cease? When your troops stop shooting niggas down the street. So he says. Here on earth, tell me, what's a black life worth? A bottle of juice is no excuse. The truth hurts. So now we have a rhyme pattern here where Tupac says, Here on earth, tell me what's a black life worth. So that's AA because you have earth and worth or AA. Then he goes on to a bottle of juice B is no excuse B. The truth B hurts A. So we have an A-A-B-B-B-A rhyme pattern there. And I spoke about in my breakdown. Uh, Tupac was pretty good at using different rhyme patterns and rhyme schemes and things like that. And again, this is another one of those powerful lines where there's no crazy metaphor or punchline really, so to speak. But you have a powerful line with a point here and a meaning. What's a black life worth? And you also have the the rhyme scheme mixed in with it, so that's that's definitely something right there that would that would start chipping away and maybe start adding to this song score a bit here. And then he says, "And even when you take the shit, move counties, get a lawyer. You can't shake the shit. Ask Rodney, Latasha, and many more. It's been going on for years. There's plenty more. So that's another example of take the shit, shake the shit." The shit is the same at the end. It's just shake and take that rhyme there. So just the one syllable. Then you have many more and plenty more. So the same thing there. Now many and plenty are obviously two syllables. But I'm just trying to point out a little bit of a pattern here where Tupac, uh, you know, disguises things pretty well there. He makes things sound more appeasing to the ear while they're really not much more technically difficult to do. He was certainly a master at that for sure. But let's look into what he's saying here. He's basically saying that even when you don't fight back, even when you don't burn and loot and kill whatever, even when you take the shit, you know, you can move, you can get a lawyer, whatever you want to do, you, you can't shake the shit. Ask Rodney, Latasha, and many more. I mean, people talk about all the time how, you know, I mean, I'm pretty sure I heard Tupac probably say this out of his own mouth where, you know, they got that one on video and still got away with it. So, I mean, there's obviously plenty of scenarios where things go on where there's no you know, video evidence or anything like that. I mean, here's a situation where we were able to just all sit there and publicly watch what happened and it was still deemed to be okay. So, you know, he's kind of making a point where I spoke earlier about looting and, and doing whatever we're doing and how it's not right, but it's long overdue. But let's play devil's advocate. 
if I don't do any of this and I just take the shit and I try to, you know, move away and I get a lawyer and whatever, it, it doesn't matter. None of it matters. We can't win. And he says, you know, it's been going on for years. There's plenty more. Then he has another powerful line. They ask me, when will the violence cease? I mean, this is one of those scenarios where Tupac was at the forefront. You know, Tupac was having his his, his albums smashed on the floor. Um, you know, political leaders and, and people were coming after him and trying to get his music banned and things like that. And people were holding him responsible for a hell of a lot. I mean, 1991, you're talking about a guy that was not even 20 years old, I don't think. And... You know, you're asking this guy, like, when will the violence cease? Now, I understand that he's in a position of power and he has a voice to speak where a lot of people don't have a voice to speak. But this is a lot on a young man's shoulders right here. And he responds with an answer of when your troops stop shooting niggas down in the streets. I mean, flip it on him. Put the onus right back on him. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you're asking me. I didn't. He, he said this in a line, too. I didn't cause this shit. You know, I, I didn't I didn't do this. I didn't make this. I was born into this. And you're asking me when it's going to stop? You tell me. When you stop shooting my friends and unarmed people or whatever the case may be, when you stop doing that, then maybe the violence will cease. How's that for an answer? So again, you know, just the one syllable, the one rhyme, things like that. But it's just another one of those powerful lines. It's a, it's a perfect example. It's typical Tupac. He did this very often. And while I, I won't say that this is raised up to a good song just yet, um, it is starting to climb above an average song. And, you know, depending on what it ends up being, it may be scored as a two or a three, or it may just, you know, stay here and kind of stay as a one, because I certainly wouldn't call it a two yet, but it's it's getting there. Niggas had enough time to make a difference. Bear witness on our own business. Put the guard to the sword, trying to make ends meet. But we couldn't afford shit now. Everything's free, so we lose. Please don't shoot when you see. I'm taking from them, cause for years they would take from me. Now the tables are turned around. You didn't listen until the niggas burned it down. And now Bush can't stop the hit. I predicted the shit in Tupacalypse. And for once I was down with niggas. Felt good in the hood, being around the niggas. Yeah, and for the first time, everybody let go. And the streets was death row. I wonder if heaven got a ghetto. I wonder if heaven got a ghetto. Okay, so then he goes on, to, you know, obviously, he. this is not a song where it's a particular topic or a story or something like that. You know, this is this is a generalized song, but obviously we're seeing a theme here in this song that, you know, the whole thing, he hasn't he hasn't lost his way here at all. Um, the whole thing has obviously been geared toward what he sees and what's going on and inequalities and yada yada and basically the premise of the song is you know i wonder if after this place called earth if there's something else like this because this shit is this shit is crazy so again voicing his frustrations here he said niggas had enough time to make a difference bear witness own our own business so pretty good line there nothing too crazy to raise the song score but uh you know six syllables rhymed on the two bars and a pretty decent line there. Fuck the guard because it's hard trying to make ends meet. First, we couldn't afford shit. Now everything's free. So we loot. Please don't shoot when you see. I'm taken from them because for years they've been taken from me. Again, another one of those powerful lines there by Tupac where 
He comes out saying, fuck the guard because it's hard trying to make ends meet. First, we couldn't afford shit. Now everything's free. So he's obviously trying to point out the irony and the hypocrisy. And, and, and you know, when you go at the in the snap of a finger where there's all, you know, there's these stores around you or whatever the case is. And you can't, you just see it every day, but you can't buy any of it. And now the windows are busted down. The buildings are burning down. Nobody's there guarding it. People are just taking things and leaving, looting, you know, yada, yada. I'm supposed to just, I'm supposed to not do that now. I've been staring at this shit for years, been wanting it, couldn't afford it, been working my ass off or whatever the case is. You know, some people are, some people aren't. I'm not trying to, to make things seem like what they're not. There's some people that live in this ghetto, whatever you want to call it, the projects, the hood, whatever word you want to use. It doesn't really matter what you want to call it, but you see what you see there. And obviously, you're going to have your people there that don't do anything. They don't work for anything. They're not productive in any way. They offer nothing of any good or any value to anyone's life. Sure, there's plenty of those people. There's also plenty of people that do work very hard and maybe can't even afford a ride to, to work or something like that and have to take public transportation um, because of the job that they were forced to make a career out of or accept because of the position that they were born in or where they come from or whatever the case may be. Now, I'm not making excuses. I'm not saying anything's right at all. I'm just trying to point out what he's talking about and the irony of his lines that you have this shit in front of me every day that I can't get. And now everybody's just taking it for free and you think I'm not gonna? All of a sudden I'm supposed to act the right way now? I've been acting the right way my whole life and I've been getting shit for it. I'm done acting the right way now. So again, another one of those powerful, you know, subtle and simple but powerful lines and then goes into, so we loot, please don't shoot when you see, which is the same rhyme pattern as the two bars before it. You had meet, free, and then C, which are all A. So on this bar here, he has, so we loot, please don't shoot. Those are BB. When you see, goes back to A. And then he goes into, I'm taking from them because from years they've been taken from me. Now, again, that's one of those interpretative lines where you don't have to agree with it. You can turn around and say, what the fuck do you mean they've been taken from me? This store owner didn't take anything from you. I'm, again, I'm not here to debate that. What I'm here to discuss and bring to the forefront is the power in the lines and what's being said and how these particular people feel. It's a powerful line. Whether you agree with it or not is not really the point, but it's a powerful line. Then he says, now the tables have turned around. You didn't listen until the niggas burned it down, huh? So that goes back to what we were talking about in the first verse, where he said, it ain't right, but it's long overdue. Now, all of a sudden, you got what was long overdue. We were quiet for a long time. You had the upper hand. Now, all of a sudden, the tables have turned around. You didn't want to listen when everything was in your advantage. But now that things are in my advantage, Everything is different, right? Now now you want to listen. Now we should now I should react the right way. Now I should do the right thing. Now you want to talk. You know, this is a, a very similar situation to when somebody keeps talking shit and you say, "Bro, please shut the fuck up before I hit you." And they keep talking, they keep talking, they keep talking, they keep pushing somebody, they keep saying the wrong things. Listen, some people's line is very short and they're going to get hit the first or second time they say something. Some people will wait 50 to 100 times. That's not the point I'm trying to make. The point I'm trying to make is when that person has a certain energy beforehand and then they get hit and their energy totally changes, then it's, yo, why'd you fucking hit me? What are you doing? 
But you didn't want to use logic before that, though. Everything was funny and cool before that. So it's kind of the same scenario, and it's you know it's just a little bit more irony here that Tupac's pointing out, and then he says, and now Bush can't stop the hit. I predicted this shit in Tupacalypse. So we got three syllables on the rhyme there, which is you know nothing too crazy, not anything where it would like raise the song score or whatever, but it is showing that Tupac is capable of doing more than just one syllable or just doing you know the thing where he's saying maybe the same two or three words and just the word in the beginning or the word in the end is different or something like that. He is capable of rhyming multiple syllables. He has shown a number of times on even this particular song that he is capable of doing different rhyme schemes and stuff like that. And, um, you know, this is, this is just a line here really where it's almost like, and I told you so, you know what I mean? You, I, you know, I remember Tupac giving an example where he said, you know, we see you in here with food every day and we're knocking and you say, we don't have any food and you know, can we please come in? And then, you know, after two weeks, it changes to, yo, let us in. And after three weeks, you know, uh, three months, it's, we're coming in, we're kicking down the doors, blasting, we've had enough. You know what I'm saying? So this is like one of those examples where it's like, and I told you so moment of like, you know, we kind of warned you, like I told you this was coming and nobody wanted to listen. And now all of a sudden that it's here, we're supposed to talk about it. And then, uh, you know, he closes out the verse with, it's the same of what he did in the beginning where the first word is just different and the, the second two words are the same. And uh, and then he ends the actual verse with the same line as he ended with in the first verse where he says, I wonder if heaven got a ghetto, which like I said, I was pretty sure to begin with that that was probably by design. This time he rhymed it a little bit better where he says, yeah, and for the first time everybody let go in the streets is death row. I wonder if heaven got a ghetto. Now, those particular bars don't necessarily have anything to do with each other. But they did rhyme better than the first time when he said criminal and used that. So, um, again, nothing too crazy there. I still think this song is is very close to getting a two right now. There was nothing too crazy in either verse. But more good than bad in both verses for sure. And I think we're getting close to probably scoring this song a good song at this point. Um, not officially there yet, but right there. And then we'll go into Tupac's third verse, which... I would assume at least some of you are going to recognize from the Changes song. Um, it's not necessarily exactly the same where it's in like the same particular order and things like that. I do believe that it was chopped up a little bit in Changes, but nevertheless, a lot of these lines are the same. So the verse might sound familiar. That's why. I wonder if heaven got a ghetto. I see no changes, all I see is racist faces Misplaced hate makes disgrace the racist We under, I wonder what it takes to make this One better place, let's erase the waste it Take the evil out the people, they'll be acting right Cause both black and white, the smoke a crack tonight And the only time we deal is when we kill each other It takes skill to be real, time to heal each other Alright, so we're seeing a little bit more on this verse right away from Pac. Now, I'm not saying that this verse blows the other verses out of the water or anything like that, but we're definitely seeing a little bit more different things here than we've seen on the first two verses. So he comes in and says, I see no changes. All I see is racist faces. Misplaced hate makes disgrace to races. That's a dope little rhyme scheme there. That's a dope little play on words where it's kind of similar to an example that we spoke about earlier where you have, you know, I see no changes. All I see is racist faces, which they go, those are two syllables each. each. And then he takes one syllable out of there, misplace, hate, makes, 
So while it's not its own brand new rhyme scheme, it is a cool little play on words and then he goes disgrace to races. So he finds a way to word that where he rhymes 11 syllables on the two bars there, which is very, very impressive. That's a lot of syllables to rhyme. And like I said, not officially a crazy rhyme scheme or nothing, but really cool wordplay. A lot of syllables rhyme there. That's by far the most syllables that he's rhymed on a two bar uh, scheme so far in this song. And then he goes, we under. I wonder what it takes to make this one better place. Let's erase the wasting. Now, this does go into a new rhyme scheme because we have the disgrace to races make this wasted. That all goes in the same pattern. But in between that now we have we under. I wonder. So we have under and wonder, which are two syllables each, and those are BB. And then he says what it takes to make this one better place. Let's erase the wasting. Now, this line kind of evens itself out because it is a run-on bar. You have the bar ends at I wonder what it takes to make this. Now, again, really quickly, I'll touch on this. Bars are things in beats. Bars are not actual, have really have nothing to do with the words in all technicality. The bars are counted on the beats. When your sentence doesn't make sense when you cut things at the bars, that's where it becomes easier. It's a run-on bar or it's a shortcut, and it becomes easier for you to find a way to say what you wanted to say without really having to make bar A rhyme with bar B or really having to make bar A make sense or stand alone or anything like that. So he's got a cool little rhyme pattern and, you know, some cool little wordplay there, but it is a run on bar. So that evens each other out with that line. And then he says, take the evil out the people, they'll be acting right. While it's not a crazy rhyme scheme because it is a new rhyme scheme with acting right as opposed to erase the wasted, he still does have the evil and people, which are two syllables. Then he says, they'll be acting right. Because both black and white are smoking crack tonight. So you have acting right, which is three. Black and white, which is three. Crack tonight, which is three. That's nine. Plus the four from the evil and people. So now on this set of two bars, you have 13 syllables rhymed here. So Tupac obviously showing a tremendous ability right now to rhyme a lot of syllables per bar. And find cool ways to word these things. Like they have cool wordplay and it's he's kind of getting these little things to rhyme in between where they're not direct, they're subtle, but they're in there. And they, they obviously count as rhyme. So while this isn't off the charts, this is definitely better technically than what we had in the first two verses. The song is definitely a good song at this point. Um, these rhyme schemes coupled with what he did through the first two verses coupled with the popularity of the song obviously this was a single this was a very popular Tupac song so taking all those things into consideration right now this is definitely at the least a good song right now and we'll see if he can continue to climb that as uh, this verse closes out here he goes on to say and the only time we deal is when we kill each other it takes skill to be real time to heal each other so this is another scenario where he has a rhyme scheme in kill each other and heal each other and in between he throws in deal skill real things like that so again it's not a brand new rhyme scheme that kicks in like an a b b a or whatever you know some of the ones that he did earlier but again cool wording he finds a way to rhyme a lot of syllables here he does use the thing where he says kill each other heal each other so each other obviously are the same words and, you know, that doesn't count as a rhyme. So it sounds more appeasing. 
it sounds like it's four syllables plus the in-betweens and things like that. It's really not. It's really only kill and heal, which is a little bit of a stretch for a rhyme. But again, Tupac does a good job here. Definitely way more good than bad on these bars right here. And also, it's another one of those lines, even the lines before it. They're, they're those lines where it's it's nothing, you know, there's no crazy like metaphor or punchline or anything like that. But he makes a valid point saying both black and white is smoking crack tonight. There's definitely going to be white people smoking crack tonight. And there's definitely going to be black people smoking crack tonight. So regardless of what neighborhoods it's prevalent in, all races are doing this. So let's not single out black people. Powerful line. And then he says... The only time we deal is when we kill each other. It takes skill to be real. Time to heal each other. Like we spoke about in Tupac's background, quite the opposite here of what you hear in your general West Coast hip-hop in the mid-90s. You know, he's calling for a scenario where we keep killing each other. You know, for some reason, it's a difficult thing for us to just be real and honest with each other and help each other and heal each other. And that that's a scary thought in itself. I mean, look at the time period that you're talking about right here. It takes skill to be real, time to heal each other. It's a powerful fucking line. It's a very powerful line and it's something different. It's something that a lot of West Coast rappers, I, you know, especially with the persona of Tupac, we're not saying. You know, let's keep in mind that Tupac is not some soft dude here that's just preaching for everybody to be peaceful. Okay, this is a dude that has been in a lot of fights and altercations and shootings with cops and other people and been shot and this and that. So, you know, this is a guy who's going through it and is, you know, kind of pointing out why is it so hard? Why is it a fucking skill for us to help each other? This is this is crazy. And it is. It's a valid point that he makes. It's crazy. It's bullshit. Um, it's, you know, mostly designed by the system and it's frustrating. If, if you're awake and aware of what's going on, it's frustrating on both sides of the coin. And there's a lot of shit going on, especially even right now. I mean, this is, you know, this is like a cycle repeating itself. There's a lot of this shit going on right now. And it, it's fucking sad. It's really bullshit because what's happening is you're having people that really do, you know, back each other or support each other or want to help each other. And their ego is kind of getting in the way and they, they, they want vengeance or they want you know, to get back or they want to get violent or to get mad or to point blame or to point fingers or whatever the case is. And that causes separation between people that are really on the same page and otherwise would like to help each other. And that's not good for us. That's not good to have the people, the everyday people like us that are on the same page and want the same common outcome and, and the same goal for us to be fighting with each other. So I understand the point that he's trying to make. It's another powerful line by Tupac. And a lot of his music was littered with that, quite frankly. So let's see how Tupac ends off the song here. And though it seems seven sick, we ain't ready to have a black president. And ain't a secret don't conceal the fact the penitentiary pack and it's filled with black. I wake up in the morning and I ask myself, is life worth living? Should I blast myself? I'm tired of being poor and even worse than black. My stomach hurts, so I'm living for a purpose. Cops give a damn about a knee, bro. Pull a trigger, kill a nigga, he's a hero. Mo nigga, mo nigga, mo niggas. Rather be a dead than a pope, nigga. Let the Lord judge the criminals. If I die, I wonder if ever got a ghetto. I wonder if ever got a ghetto. 
ones in heaven got a ghetto. My ones in heaven got a ghetto. So that's Tupac, I Wonder If Heaven Got a Ghetto, and, you know, he closed that song out really hard, a lot more of the same and even better. The first two verses, we saw some good things and stuff like that, but nothing too crazy, and then I spoke going into the third verse about how the third verse was probably technically and powerfully the best verse, even though there was powerful lines all throughout the song, the third one, he, he really shines and kind of finds a way to, to mix everything together. And he comes in on the second half here saying, And though it seems heaven sent, we ain't ready to have a black president. Now, listening to that right now, it's a little bit odd because we have. So, at the time that this was recorded, obviously, you know, Tupac was correct in saying that we're not ready to see a black president because they didn't, you know, in his time and quite frankly, not that soon after. I mean, it was, you know, over a decade. So... It happened somewhat soon after. It would have happened in his lifetime. And unfortunately, he wasn't here to see it. But obviously, at the time that this was written, that's how he felt. And he at least had somewhat of a point, considering that there had never been one in his time. So then he goes on to say, It ain't a secret. Don't conceal the fact the penitentiary's packed and it's filled with blacks. Now, this is one of those lines where it's a run-on bar because it ain't a secret. Don't conceal the fact. That's where the bar ends. Now, I, I believe I spoke about this much earlier in in the in the podcast. Bars are about bars are actually counted on the beats. So if you stop where the bars are and they don't stand alone, I'm trying to explain to people that it's a lot easier to write that way. It's a lot easier to just take one of your sentences and find something in there that rhymes and say, okay, I'm gonna just cut the bar there. When the sentence really doesn't stand alone by itself, it wouldn't make sense by itself. So he says, In any secret, don't conceal the fact the penitentiary is packed and it's filled with blacks. Now, that's one of those things where he's definitely not going to lose any points here because it's another dope... I don't want to call it a dope line. You know, it is a dope line, but it's, again, the better word to use is it's a powerful line. And the reason that it's a powerful line is because it's, it's truth. If you actually just go look up the statistics of the ethnicities that are in prison... Blacks are of the very high majority. So, I mean, and he says it right there. It ain't a secret. So it's kind of one of those things where, no, it's not a secret. Anybody can go look it up and find out this information. But at the same time, it's not really something that people are really like talking about. So he's saying it ain't a secret. Don't conceal the fact. So another powerful line there. Then he says, I wake up in the morning and I ask myself, is life worth living or should I blast myself? Another crazy powerful line. Now, he does the same thing again like we spoke about earlier where myself and myself are the same word. He just changes the one syllable before it, ask and blast. But he finds a way consistently to make simple lines extremely ear-catching and extremely powerful. This is something where obviously somebody's spilling their, their, their soul and their guts and their feelings to you. And he's trying to explain to you what it's like living in his shoes and again it's a very powerful line it's just the one syllable but it's a great line and then he goes on to say basically explaining why he's saying it 
I'm tired of being poor and even worse, I'm black. My stomach hurts so I'm looking for a purse to snatch. Another super powerful line, but yet again, in another super powerful line, we have a bunch of cool rhyme schemes here again. So he says, I'm tired of being poor and even worse, A, I'm black, B, my stomach hurts, A, so I'm looking for a purse, A, to snatch, B. So he has an A, B, A, A, B rhyme pattern there, which is definitely a difficult one to use. So this is where Tupac really, really shined on things like this. You know, it wasn't really the punchlines and things like that. It was more Tupac's wordplay and his actual poetry to where he did these things with words and he, he found ways to mix these really powerful lines and still word them in a way where the technicalities of it were, were making it even more impressive what he was doing on top of what he was already saying that was impressive. So another great line there by Tupac, he goes on to say, Cops give a damn about a Negro. Pull the trigger, kill a nigga, he's a hero. Another super powerful line. And this kind of goes back to what he was talking about when he said, Don't conceal the fact the penitentiary is packed and it's filled with blacks. This is another statistic that you could look up you know, about how many black males are, are shot or, you know, whatever, whatever statistic it is that you're trying to look up with police. I mean, the numbers are pretty high. Now I understand that police come in encounter with a lot of people on a daily basis. So the percentage that go awry probably is somewhat low, but quite frankly, it just happens all too often. And it happens all too often more so to some people than not. And I think all of it's bullshit. I think the fact that it happens to, to black people more often than it happens to white people is absolute bullshit. And I think the fact that it happens on a consistent basis at all in general is complete bullshit. So again, two sides of the coin, but yet again, he finds another way to take a super powerful line where he's pointing out an unpleasant truth. And he has an ABBA rhyme scheme on there again. And he also has eight syllables rhymed on the two bars. So a bunch more things that, that raise this for Pac right here. And then he says, Mo nigga, mo nigga, mo niggas. Rather be a dead than a po nigga. Let the Lord judge the criminals. And if I die, I wonder if heaven got a ghetto. So it's kind of one of those things where you can you can just picture Tupac being Tupac right there. That's the way Tupac spoke. That's the way Tupac acted. And the end of the song goes back to the same thing that he said on the prior two verses where, like I pointed out in the beginning, the word criminal and ghetto is, you know, a stretch or a reach for a rhyme. So, you know, if you really want to get nitpicky, you can jot that down. I mean, maybe that was one of the only things in there that, that he really did that was, uh, I don't want to say wrong, but it's one of those things where you can obviously tell that he's doing something on purpose. In, in all of those last four bars, you could tell that he's obviously doing something on purpose. He ends the thing with criminals and ghetto more than one time, so it was obviously just something that he wanted to do. It's nothing terrible. It's nothing that ruins the song. It's not that Tupac couldn't find rhymes. He just showed us in every bar prior that he was capable of doing pretty amazing stuff, so I'm not going to chalk this up to Tupac quote-unquote sucking or... You know, not being able to find anything that rhymed with ghetto, quite frankly, it's just bullshit. I'm sure Tupac could name you, you know, however many things right off the top of his head that rhyme with ghetto for whatever reason. That's how he wanted to end each one of his verses, and that's what he did. So, at the end of the day, man, I mean, this is this is in between a good and a great song because you got a couple and a lot of things here. This this really 
this this gets a three. I I can. This is closer to a three than a two. I won't go all out and say this is a fucking three. But th- I'm surely this got a three when I was judging Tupac. Not only because Tupac did stuff like this on a regular basis, but also because it's just closer. It's much closer to a three than it is to a two. It's really like a 2.75. I mean, another line or two here and there or whatever, you know, he could throw in there carries this to a clean three easily. But you have to take a lot of things into account. You have to take into to account that that was a pretty popular song that was a single of Tupac's that was on the radio and stuff like that. So that obviously comes into play. I would say in the first two verses, he raised the song score a little bit, mostly due to a couple of like rhyme schemes and a couple of, you know, thought provoking powerful lines, but it, it wasn't, it wasn't that heavy. Um, he was pushing it near a good song between the popularity of it and what he did in the first two verses right there. The third verse, Tupac just had one of those moments and, uh, Tupac did this on some songs, quite frankly. I mean, Tupac has verses like this. Uh, I believe it's his second or third verse in Me Against the World. He just absolutely snaps on it, you know, technically and with the thought-provoking deep statements and, and deep lines and things like that and finding a way to not only say something really powerful but say it in a, in a poetic way where he's he's mixing up his words and his rhyme schemes and things like that. So when it comes to lyrically, I think Tupac was a little slept on in the sense that you kind of have people that really, I mean, listen, a lot of people love Tupac and there's a lot of people that love Tupac, me being one of them that will openly admit to you, nah, Tupac ain't the best lyricist ever. But a lot of people that love Tupac is Tupac's the GOAT, Tupac's the GOAT, you know what I'm saying? And and again, you know, Tupac is a legend and he's a top guy. I mean, you know, right now we got him sitting in a, in a great spot, so we'll see where he ends up. But when you're talking about just lyrically, no, Tupac is is not up there with some of the greatest of all time. But you also have a lot of people out there and maybe even some people who like Tupac that turn around and say, ah, well, Tupac kind of sucked lyrically. He was very elementary and, you know, he couldn't hold a candle to people like Biggie and stuff like that. And I really do beg to differ. If you sit down and you really study some of Tupac's stuff, I think that a lot of his poetry and his rhyme schemes and sometimes syllables is really overlooked as an artist and nobody denies that Tupac has a lot of really deep thought provoking lines but I think people sometimes look at some of the things that we pointed out earlier where really he's just changing one word in the sentence and it's one syllable to rhyme and stuff but you have so many powerful thought provoking lines and then he just has these times and it's it's not once in a blue moon you know it's not once an album or something like that I mean there was Plenty of times where Tupac was very, 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 very impressive lyrically with the way that he worded things and the syllables and the deep thought-provoking powerful lines and the rhyme schemes and stuff like that. So I really do think that Tupac was a bit slept on lyrically, although I don't think he's anywhere near being one of the greatest of all time. But that was certainly one of those verses where Tupac had a very, very solid, powerful verse there. And I think... You know, all three of those verses coupled together with the fact that this was a single and this was a pretty popular song. I mean, that that catapults this song right up there. I'll, I'll go out on a limb and just call it a three right now today without having really sat down and listened to anything in succession in a long time. But uh, hey, that's that's a couple of weeks here now that we've uh, we've had song breakdowns and we've had a couple of threes there. And I I don't believe that we had any threes prior to these two that we just had. So. Major shout out to Pharaoh Monch and Tupac for giving us some absolutely fucking incredible lyrics, some cool songs with some cool concepts and things that they were talking about and some really 
thought-provoking, powerful things that were given to us from a little bit of a different aspect than we maybe used to getting it from everybody. You know, Pharaoh going out of his way, talking about, I'm not a trigger man, I got no bodies and things like that. And, you know, Tupac saying some of the things that he said on here. He kind of, Tupac kind of brought both angles of it. So, uh, shout out to two of those legends, man, for sure. And obviously, rest in peace to Tupac. Now let's get into AG, who had his debut solo album in 1992. So I do want to just point out that this marks the first time that we're leaving 1991 now. So Tupac was the last one in 1991. We're on to a new year in 1992 here now, with AG being the first artist covered in 1992. Also known as Show and AG, Origin, the Bronx, New York City, New York, United States, Genres listed as hip-hop, years active listed as 1990 to present. Showbiz and AG, also shortened as Show and AG, is an American hip-hop duo from the Bronx borough of New York City composed of record producer Rodney Showbiz LeMay and rapper Andre A.G. Barnes, born September 26, 1970. The duo formed soon after their debut song Back-to-Back -Back Rhyming from Lord Finesse's Funky Technician album in 1990, and became one-fourth of hip-hop collective DITC, along with Lord Finesse, Diamond D, Fat Joe, OC, Buck Wild, and Big L. So, just to recap on this really quick, you know, Showbiz and AG were a group, so to speak, but Showbiz is the DJ, so, you know, this is kind of like, uh, you know, Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince, and Eric B and Rakim, and stuff like that, so this is Showbiz and AG, but obviously we're not you know, judging and scoring showbiz here today. We're just doing AG, so that's why AG is listed. But uh, we ain't nothing without the beats and the, and the DJs and shit like that. So I, I don't want to try to eliminate these guys. I'm not going to cut out his name and just, just read about AG. I mean, you know, they were called showbiz and AG. That was his DJ. So, so I gave you a little bit of a background on both of them. And now I'll break down AG. Although I knew of AG mostly through my love for Big L and him being down with DITC... I didn't realize how long he continued rapping for and how many albums he put out. Very early on, there were times he was reaching with some weak lines lyrically, but he definitely stepped that up. As time progressed, he definitely showed some dope bars, ability to keep topic, and keep your ear the entire verse. He fluctuated a bit inconsistently from verse to verse or song to song sometimes, but the good definitely outweighed the bad. Throughout his 20 years on the mic, he released 5 albums with producer Showbiz along with 3 EPs an album and an EP with Diggin' in the Crates, and three qualifying solo albums. Two of those later albums were great, four were good, and the other five were average. AG did have two great songs, but he also had two weak songs, leaving him to break even in that department. Although The Giant did influence artists such as Naughty by Nature, Jay-Z, Nori, Joe Budden, Fabulous, and some others, his impact on the hip-hop game in general wasn't very big. Sure, someone like me can find a guy like him and listen to it, but your average everyday music fan would never know of his name, and that's a tough spot to be sitting in considering how many big-name people he had around him. He certainly did have a couple of relatively original song ideas, but he did take a lot from other rappers before him, especially Big L and Nas. On top of that, he was for the most part your typical New York rapper. So let's get into the math of what I wrote down on AG. Lyrics, he gets a 6. Albums, he gets a 3.81 with zero classics. Songs, he gets a zero like we spoke about. He had the two great songs, but he also had the two weaker songs. Impact, he gets a four and a half, which is just under average. And 
that's kind of something typical that you'll see of people that are kind of in this position where you have somebody that you're a little bit torn because while he was in DITC with Big L and, you know, Fat Joe and Lord Finesse and stuff like that, but he really didn't have very much success. So it's a little confusing. It's a slippery slope. And then it starts to come down to a little bit more of how many albums did they put out? You know, how many people sampled some of their music? How many people took lines from them or sampled the same things that they had on their beats and things like that? And that's usually kind of the tipping point that leans somebody maybe right under or right above average. So AG gets a four and a half right under average there. And then originality, he also gets a four and a half. It was one of those things where there wasn't all that much original about him. He did have a couple of songs that were original type songs, but it wasn't an overabundance of it. And then on top of that, he was kind of your typical New York rapper, and he did take a lot from other people too. So with all those things kind of combined in there, we came again to just under average at four and a half. So you add all those five numbers up, and you divide by five, and you get a final score of 3.76, finishing him in 126th place of 153 artists done overall. So listen, man, I just want to say that this is one of those prime examples of a dude who can definitely rap. I mean, he's getting a, a lyrical score of six. So he's right outside of making our top 10% lyrically. You know, we're through X amount of guys now, and he's right outside knocking on the top lyrical list. But he finishes 126th of 153 artists done, which obviously doesn't sound good. We don't know where he'll end up, but right now it doesn't look great. But it's just a prime example of a dude who could definitely rap, definitely spit bars and stuff like that, but not a great finish as the study incorporates every possible aspect of creating hip-hop into it. So... Just the same way as we've had some artists who are poor lyrically, but still managed to finish pretty high, this is the exact opposite. As far as rap skill goes, almost the same score as Tupac lyrically, but overall over a hundred spots behind him. So the math didn't add up great for AG, but I personally enjoyed listening to him and he can definitely spit. So big shout out to AG. I enjoyed the music and you know, the dude can rap. So let's get into our list now, obviously sticking with the top 15% here in the 90s, but once again, we have some major changes in this list today, obviously. So now taking over our top spot, we have Tupac, who's tied for seventh place of 153 artists done overall. Couple of slots back, we have Pharaoh Monch, who's in ninth. Couple of slots behind him, we have KRS-One, who's in 11th. Couple slots back, we have Jizza in 13th. Couple slots back from him, Slick Rick in 15th, and then Rakim in 17th. A few more back from Rakim, we have Rev Run of Run DMC sitting in 22nd place, and then directly behind him is LL Cool J in 23rd, MF Doom in 24th, and then a couple of slots back in 26th, we have Will Smith. Three more slots back, we have DMC of Run DMC and Ice Cube both tied for 29th of 153 artists done overall. So, we had KRS-One sitting in that top slot for four chronological years through the study, a bunch of episodes in the podcast. Pharaoh Monch comes along, takes over the spot. 
The very next week, Tupac comes along, takes over the spot, and it's odd how we got these guys. Tupac is 7th, Pharaoh Monch is 9th, KRS-1's 11th, Jizz is 13th, Slick Rick is 15th, Rakim 17th. It's odd how it's every other one like that. And then right after that, we have 22nd, 23rd, 24th, and the guys are right behind each other. So it is a little bit odd the way that these things are lining up, but we're starting to close the gaps here. And we're starting to have not so many gaps in between now. And it's just maybe one or two or three slots in between. So we're starting to have those gaps filled in. And a new number one slot in back-to-back weeks. Yay! So obviously, as a result, everyone moves down a slot. And that knocks out Big Daddy Kane and Everlast off of our top 15% overall list. I've said this before, Kane has been in and out of our top list since his debut album. So something tells me in a couple of weeks he may find his way back in here, but we shall see. Um, For now, they're out. For now, they've been knocked out. So let's see what happens going forward. But obviously, again, big shout out to everybody in the top 15% still hanging on. We are in the middle of the golden era of hip-hop here, so it's definitely getting tough. We had two new number ones sliding in there. We still have people from the 80s, Ice Cube, uh, DMC, Will Smith, all these people. Even up at the top, KRS-One, Slick Rick, Rakim, all these guys still hanging on strong. Still got really top spots here and uh, doing really well, so we'll see how long everybody can hang in there for. Let's get into our current top 10% lyrically. And there's one addition to this list today as well. So the top spot doesn't change. We still have at number one, Pharaoh Monch with a lyrical score of eight and a half. Then we have a tie for second place. We have Master Ace and Jizza with lyrical scores of seven and a half. Behind Master Ace and Jizza, tied for fourth, we have KRS-One and Lord Finesse, who both got lyrical scores of seven. And then we have a five-way tie now for last place instead of a four-way tie. We have a five-way tie now between Will Smith, Rakim, Cool G Rap, Everlast, and Tupac for our sixth and final spot in our top 10% lyrically. So really only seven names are supposed to be listed here, but we have a five-way tie for that last spot. So for now, Tupac slides his way into our last spot of our top 10% lyrically. Let's see how long he can hold on to that for. Now, it's a tricky one because... The list, this list is a little bit shorter. It's a 10%. So less names are going to be named. And he's also tied for the last spot. So if anyone else goes up, it could slide all five of those end guys out. But again, this is a tougher score and this is a tougher change for people to make to get into this list. So the likelihood of somebody getting in there before we have a raise in the number of people in there is probably not very high but it is possible so Tupac hanging on to a tie for the last spot now again I'll just bring this up briefly they're not in order of best to worst in these ties they're in chronological order so Will Smith was the first to come out he's at the top Tupac was the last to come out he's at the bottom realistically Will Smith is probably at the bottom of that list um cool g rap is probably near the top rock him and and uh, everlast would probably be in the middle and then i would say maybe tupac and will smith towards the bottom when it came to actual lyrical skill but i like to put the people that came out first because the fact of the matter is they all got the same score so i just want to give the guys that got to that score that came out first and got to that score first a little bit of credit there all tremendous lyricists all these guys for sure Some of these guys in that top lyrical list are very, very slept on. I mean, if you talk to a lot of real hip-hop heads, there's probably not too many surprises in this list. 
but most other people would probably not name some of these guys that are in this top 10% right now if you ask them. So shouts to these guys for sure for doing their thing when it came to the lyrics on the songs. These guys were definitely great. Now let's get into our other list that we go over starting with our top five rappers to make their debut in the 80s. Again, this list doesn't change today. It probably won't much. I will definitely update you guys if it does. But our top five rappers to make their debut in the 80s. At number one, Mr. KRS-One, The Teacher. Number two, Slick Rick. Number three, Rakim. Number four, Rev Run of Run DMC. And number five, LL Cool J. So big shout out to the legends who paved the way for sure. You know, kings in their own right in their respective generations. And quite frankly, some of those guys still holding on to some of our top spots overall. So let me not even speak too soon because they might just be kings overall. And they might hang on to that through present day. Time will tell. So I'm excited to see what the future holds for all these people that I got to go through. Um, let's get into our top five of the 90s. And this list changes today as well. Obviously, we had a new number one overall. So we're going to be having a new number one of the 90s. So top five to debut in the 90s. At number one, we have Tupac. Number two, Pharaoh Monch. Number three, Jizza. Number four, MF Doom. And number five, Everlast. So we have a new guy at the top of that list in Tupac, which means that after a couple of weeks in the list, Be Real is slid out. So it's a tragic day for my cousin R. Forms, but in all fairness, he's up against some tough competition as that 90s list is starting to have some real, real heavy hitters on it now as we continue to move along in the golden era of hip-hop. If you'd like to see any of these lists in full, you can give the Facebook website a visit at www.facebook.com slash tale of the tapes podcast. You can give the host website a visit at www.anchor.fm slash tale of the tapes. You are definitely most welcome to hit that support button and send your boy as much money as you would like. Greatly appreciated. And I think that's about it for this week's episode. So next week we have Chi Ali and Twister. Chi Ali, you may or may not have heard of. He really only had like one album, but we'll cover him nonetheless next week. And I got to give a shout out to my dude, Dirty T, because he's always giving twists to his props. Like I always remember back in the day, he would come out with some random twister shit and be like, bro, you got it. You got to hear this shit. He goes ham on this shit. So um, shout out to Dirty T for sure. And I would think that most people know at least who Twista is. Um, but if you don't, he's probably one of the fastest rappers of all time. Now, fast does not always necessarily mean good, so this one should be interesting. We'll see how it works out for him. Tale of the tapes. Peace. Tale of the tapes. Might as well.